Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Oh, thank you, Susan. How are you doing this evening? Oh, I am doing really, really well, looking at a smaller and smaller pile of T-shirts here. Uh, There are still Hypericum shirts, though. 
there are um, 3X, 2X, extra large, and large. And there are a couple of mediums. So if you want mediums, you should order immediately. Because really, mm. like, I think there's one two-sided medium and one standing medium. <clears throat> the standing is the woman with her arms raised up, the hypericum with her arms raised up. And somebody sent me um, a little notice about some of my art that I did back in the 60s when I was um, in charge of advertising for our store, the Psychedelicatessen. And these pieces of art were um, loose sheets that were our catalog. They were never bound. They were always loose. And they went for a pretty hefty price. And it made me realize how valuable these shirts are. So I decided that as of next year, any remaining shirts will go up in price. Hmm. Nice. They are limited yeah. edition. Once and done. It's yeah. a limited edition. There will never be any more Hypericum shirts. And so the older they are, the more valuable they become. So... If you're thinking it would make a good gift for this gift-giving scening, did you just hear Will Willow says, don't sell the medium. I buy the medium. <laughs> Take it out of the bio market off the inventory. <laughs> and it's that, it's that kind of hot foot time of the year where you're going – I know I need to take the plants in, but do I need to take them in yet? Because you just, you don't want to deprive the plants of being outside. It's so like, oh, tedious for them in the house. On the other hand, you don't want them to get too cold, all those beautiful plants that you have that, let's face it, are kind of tropical in origin and don't actually even want to be out in temperatures lower than 40 or even 45. Right. Right? Right. Right, right, hard. The, right. That oh. that dance, mm. and especially since I was at Red Earth and there was frost while we were there because we were up so high. Wow! Oh, and you know, if anybody is listening who was at Red Earth and you gave me something, thank you. I came home with wonderful gifts, marvelous gifts. The vast majority of which hadn't the slightest marking. Mm. Really, bars of wonderful stuff without a label, bags of fabulous food, no label, no name, no nothing. I love you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate you, but you probably won't get a thank you card from me. Aww. <laughs> Please accept this as my thank you card. <laughs>
she applied for this job, and the man who was hiring called me up and said, you know, usually I don't like hire women to do this job because it's, you know, there's wolves out there, there's eagles, and it's, you know, it's not always nice. And I said, she knows how to give death. She's held the nice, and he hired her. Oh, wow. Wow. Mm. Right, I said, any of those sheep get into trouble. She needs to do that. She's going to be able to do that. That's fine. So mm. she sent me a link to this fun, um, I guess it's a YouTube, I don't really know, about a woman who has decided that she wants to live outdoors with her guts. Wow. How's that? Wow. choice, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Giving up modern life to become a goat herder in Montana. This woman is a modern-day goat herder. She was interviewed by Eva Zoo Beck. It's in Facebook. Wow. Montana. Goat herder. Yes. Eva, E-V-A, Z-U, little Z-U, in capital B-E-C-K, Eva Zoo Beck, um, yesterday went up to Montana to interview uh, the woman who's a modern-day goat herder. You will like it a lot. It's a, a wonderful little interview of her being out with the her goats, and she um, trains them to be pack animals. Mm. So they can carry her, all of her belongings, right? Her pots and her pans and her tent and her sleeping bag. And she's, you know, she's not backpacking. She's living. So she has a few more things, you know. The nomadic life requires that you carry your house around with you like the snail. Wow. This is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing. Wow. Uh, amazing. So that's what we've been doing. What have you been up to? Oh, goodness. It seems like all is coming on pretty full swing here. And we have been, I have been really getting the barn tidied up. We're getting hay delivery, hopefully, um, sometime later this week. And um, just taking time to be outside, just kind of walking around, noticing the changes and where things are and making space around plants. And, oh, happily, the Hypericum story has a happy ending. There are four lovely Hypericum plants there in amongst the knotweed that is that I removed. But <laughs> Yay! Hooray! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so we were just noticing that Hypericum that we've been picking is still blooming. Sorry, Mike, oh, we shut down a second there. Wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's still blooming? Still wow. blooming. Not, you know, not profusely, but still blooming, yeah. Mm. Wow. It seems like things were so generous with their their availability and how long they lasted once they came on this year. I, I need to go look, but it's been so rainy the last couple of days. But there were still so many elderberries 
on our elderberry bushes. And oh my gosh! I know. I know. I was waiting. Yeah, uh, it's crazy. It's bent over. I mean, they're sweeping the ground. They're so heavy on the what would be the the west side of the bushes. It's so interesting. The other side. (laughs) (laughs) Got to help them out and take some of those berries. I think so. Even if I don't have time, I figure I can just put them in the freezer and then put them up later if I can't, if I don't have time. I mean, there's, <laughs> it's amazing. I just, did a, I just did a kind of putting together of things. Let's see, I made some elderberries with peaches, and Justine made Ooh. elderberries with strawberry and blueberry, and then I made some uh, spiced peach, and I just mixed them all together because there was, you know, just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Mm. The elderberry and peaches sound so good. Oh, yeah, really great. Mmm, yum, yum. Wow. And then uh, Lisa visited today, and uh, we were talking about oxymels. I have really been getting into making lots of oxymels this year, which is a mixture of vinegar and honey. Mm-hmm. And I had... I'd gotten started in that because I had some garlic honey and some garlic vinegar. And I was taking a swig of one and a swig of the other. And then somebody told me about an oxymel where you make it with vinegar and honey already mixed. And I'm like, really? Wow. So here we made, let's see, our CSA gave us fresh ginger. So we had fresh ginger oxymel. Um sage oxymel, red clover oxymel. Um, Astrid gave me some osha root, so fresh osha root oxymel. Um, there's some elecampane oxymel, catnip oxymel. We Ooh. just have been going to town. And, of course, our favorite is the lavender oxymel. Oh, yum. Wow. And they, they do tend to spill out a little more. So I'm noticing that I haven't protected my shelf, that I put my oxymels where I put my honey, and the honey's pretty good. They pretty mm. much stay in their jars. But the oxymels are a little bubblier, getting my shelf uh. kind of uh, icky-sticky here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and I'm talking about all these because it's very much not too late to make them, you know. Right. Yeah. Oxymels, right. I agree. I've I've also made some more of those than usual. Then yeah, I I like working with the oxymels. I think you sent me a motherwort oxymel that we tasted today too. Did I? I know I don't I don't know if I can take credit for maybe, that. One. Maybe it was Astrid. Maybe it was Astrid. It's not in my handwriting. Mm-hmm. It said uh, motherwort oxymel. I'm like, who made this? Maybe Astrid made that. That sounds mm. fun. I like that. Yes. Hmm. So, you know, I was making oxymels with a friend, and she asked me a question. I was like, hmm, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I'd love to ask Susan. So can I, I would like to run it by you. Um, sure. Okay, thanks. The vinegar, can it be, she asked specifically, could she use rice vinegar or pineapple vinegar as long as she boiled it first? Yes, you can use any vinegar you want. Okay, awesome. Because yeah, we were making the two in addition to the oxymels and that's nice thing about, about the apple cider vinegar 
is it has a pretty neutral taste. Mm-hmm. It's an actual, you know, it's an actual plant vinegar, and it has a neutral taste. Wine vinegar tends to have very strong taste that can overpower the herbs. Okay. Like when we're talking about lavender oxymel, really, do we want pineapple vinegar in there? No, I would think not. No, no. Right? I think we were talking. So like the great thing that. about about the other about the vinegars is that some of them have tastes on their own, and so they're really good in vinaigrettes and so on. But basically, if what you want to do is have the taste of the herb in your vinegar, your oxymel, then usually you choose a vinegar that itself has little taste. Okay, awesome. Well, we used all cider vinegar. We boiled it first and did hopefully, yeah. you know, but they seem yummy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and since I live where there's lots of apples grown, that seems like a, a reasonable thing for me to use as well. Also, although um, I can't find any real evidence for it, um, the the whole idea about apple cider vinegar being medicine itself is very popular. Oh, I, I didn't know. Oh, I mean, yeah, I know whole people- books. There's whole books written on apple cider vinegar medicine. Okay. I know people sometimes just take it by, like, the tablespoonful for health, but I just... That's why. Because of the belief in apple cider. The fact of the matter is that if you look, you can go to the store and look at the nutrition label on vinegar. There's no vitamins in it. There's no minerals in it. Um, Mm -hmm. If if it's raw, is it giving you gut flora? Uh, Maybe. But I doubt it. Hmm. Partly because we know that stomach acid kills most of what we eat and that the um, the milk ferments get further down in the gut because of the protein with them. Mm-hmm. Right. That makes so I got nothing against apple cider vinegar. I make this stuff myself. It's great stuff. Buy it at the supermarket, pasteurized, but any other vinegar can work too, and we can't do it wrong, so have fun. Yay! Awesome. Yay! Thank you. At 9 o'clock mm-hmm. tonight, we're going to be talking to Mary Hieronymus. She's a dance artist, a ceremonialist, and a mother. She calls her work the sacred body. She shares practices of embodiment, reclaiming the body as sacred. She supports the re-emergence of women's wisdom and the healing of matrilineal lines. And she wants us to remember the power of ritual and ceremony. And as we recall, the wise woman tradition is focused on nourishment And nourishment is, of course, what we put in our mouths. But it is also saying our stories and having our stories heard. And it is ritual and ceremony. I very much look forward to talking to Mary Hieronymus tonight at 9 o'clock East Coast time. Stay with us until then or come back around.
anything further that you want to share about what's going on at your place? Oh, I think I think we got it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, let's let's see if there's any questions. All right, and I'll remind everyone if you have a question and would like to speak live with Susan this evening, just press one, and we will see your hand go up in the queue and uh, open your line when it is your turn. And we'll go to our first caller. We've got two callers. The first one with their hands up. We'll go to our first caller dialed in from the 336 area code. From the 336, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. What's up tonight? Um, My name is Elizabeth. I called, um, it's been a few years now. Um, ago, and it was in relation to some issues I was having with my menstrual cycle, um, and basically that I I've struggled with having very extended cycles um, up to roughly around two months in between periods um, at the at the least amount. Um, and you recommended Vitex, and I worked with Vitex for quite some time which was actually kind of a challenge for me because, sorry, I'm a little nervous (laughs) rambling. Um, It it was a bit of a struggle for me because of the taste. Um, It seemed like no matter how much I diluted it, it just, I find the Vitex tincture to be very hard um, to take regularly. Um, And I felt like I needed, I experimented with a lot of different dosages. Um, I made some myself. I bought some from stores. Um, and it, it did work for a little while and then it like didn't work. And again, I struggled to take it as often as I think I needed to for it to work properly. I don't know. Um, but so now I've been still struggling with this issue for, um, a few years and this has been a lifelong kind of journey for me with my menstrual cycle. Um, recently um it's been since my last period was um at the end of june so we're at the end of september now it's the longest i've gone in in quite some time um i've i confirmed that i'm not pregnant in fact i well i took multiple tests um on my own and i actually did go to planned parenthood today to get a test and they also said it was negative they so drew some blood to run some tests of like thyroid and um, to confirm what, I mean, I'm pretty sure I have symptoms related to PCOS. Um, basically, all that goes to say is like, this has become quite an issue for me that seems to be affecting my life now in terms of the emotional ups and downs. Like sometimes it feels like I'm PMSing for months at a time. Um, so I just don't know what to do. Okay, let's go over just briefly the menstrual cycle. The whole menstrual cycle is initiated by a surge of estradiol. Estradiol is the most active, the most dangerous of all of the estrogens. And that surge of estradiol hits the pineal and pituitary glands and tells them that they need to start producing follicle-stimulating hormone. 
follicle-stimulating hormone, then says to the follicles in the ovary, Hello, girls. It's time for you to wake up and become eggs. And they do. Now, human eggs are backwards of chicken eggs. We have the yellow on the outside. So when that egg leaves the ovary, it leaves behind. It's outside the yellow body. And Latin for yellow is lutein. And that then makes luteinizing hormone. When luteinizing hormone is made, that's the trigger for progesterone. Progesterone is usually the culprit in any PMS or premenstrual symptoms because progesterone gets you ready to be pregnant. It makes you gain a little weight. It makes you gain a little water weight. It makes your breasts get a little bigger. It makes you be more sensitive to stimuli of all kinds. If we are pregnant, then progesterone continues to rise and the fertilized egg implants. If we are not pregnant, we menstruate. If we are not pregnant, we menstruate 13 days after that surge of estradiol. This is true for every woman in every menstrual cycle. The only part that's variable is between the menstruation, and the next release of estradiol. So you literally can't be experiencing PMS. Mm. I understand you feel that way. I'm not in any way countering what you feel. I support your experience. But we also have to take into account what's actually happening in our bodies. So Mm. at before, when we talked, did I ask you about your diet? Um, you did. Uh, I I don't remember. Uh-huh. So you can ask me now. <laughs> okay. Could you tell me a little about your diet, please? Um, yes. I, uh, and let me give I you a little it. background on this. I met a woman out at Red Earth who um, went on a very restricted diet. I think that she was uh, eating a vegan diet and that it was mostly raw food. And as is pretty common, she stopped menstruating. When you're really not nourishing yourself well enough to even keep yourself alive, then your whole hormonal system just says, well, it's pointless to even right. think about making a baby since you can hardly keep yourself alive. <laughs> right. And although, I, um... that was, although that was years ago, she has not been able to reestablish a normal menses. And I said, unfortunately, That can be true, too. The statistics say that of women on restricted diets, half or more will lose their menses, and of those, a solid 50% will probably never regain easy fertility. Mm. Um, That's good information to know. I am like an avid follower of yours. I do eat a lot of really well-cooked greens. I drink nourishing herbal infusions. I yeah. eat red red meat semi regularly, not like super often, but good quality grass fed beef um, on occasion. So I and I eat just you know I love to garden, I love to forage, and have my whole apothecary. You know, thanks to following you for several years. Um, oh, hooray for you! Yay! 
it's, it's such an incredible feeling, honestly. Um, I will say, you know, in my, I'm 30, I'll, I'll be 32 in about a month. And mm-hmm. in my younger years, you know, late teens, early 20s, I did a lot of crazy dieting, um, just anything you could think of. Um, I tried it all. I tried very restrictive diets. I was fasting. I was, you know, taking pills. I was doing all kinds of things. I mean, these problems I've been having, like, like I said, they've been going on from that time and, and prior to that. I mean, just as long as I can remember, but I mean, it would make sense that those crazy things I did to my body uh, back in those years would have lasting effects. Also, are you right now wanting to get pregnant? I am not. You are not. I'm, okay. I'm in a, I'm, no, I mean, yeah, if circumstances were different, maybe kids would be in my future, but that is not something not right on now. my radar. This, this, yeah. Not a time when you're looking to get pregnant. You would like to feel better in between the times when you bleed is what I'm hearing. Correct. I mean, I've been experiencing, so, I've gained a lot of let's weight. Establish, have, all, yeah. Let's establish also that it is not normal to bleed every month. Right, right. Right? right. It's normal to be pregnant for 40 weeks and then to lactate for at least three months, if not longer. In less developed parts of the world, it is, in fact, sometimes never that a woman menstruates. She's married young. She gets pregnant before she has her first period. Her nutritional status is poor. She breastfeeds for two or three years. She doesn't ovulate during that time. She stops breastfeeding. She gets pregnant before she menstruates again. So she might go her entire life without an actual menstrual flow. So you have somehow, because of what you see around you and your friends and family and so on, been led to believe that having a menstrual cycle every month is somehow normal and healthy. In fact, as you recall, the whole cycle gets kicked off by a very dangerous hormone, which is not good for your health. So you're having fewer cycles means you have less risk of ovarian cancer. You have less risk of breast cancer. So one interest, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, it's starting to put my mind at ease a little bit, I, although I'm still, you know, it's very hard for me. But at the same time, so I, I mean, I don't visit the doctor. I don't even remember the last time I had a doctor's visit, but I went to confirmed that this was not a pregnancy today and they um well the nurse practitioner suggested and encouraged me to take um this prescription of provera for five days and then stop which she said would force a period force a bleed to happen um which doesn't sound great to me and i've heard stories of this drug, like, causing a lot of cramping. And obviously and it's not an actual menstruation. An actual menstruation requires 
13 days of preparation. And then she also, I, you know, I don't know how true this is because, again, it's like the only research I can do is, like, online. I felt like it was better for me to call you um, that she was saying that essentially my risk of cancer was higher because I'm not shedding in uterine lining regularly. She didn't pay attention during her anatomy class. You do not build up an endometrium until you release progesterone. First, estradiol. Estradiol causes follicle-stimulating hormone. Follicle-stimulating hormone stimulates the follicles. They become eggs. The egg leaves the ovary, leaving behind the yellow body. Now, luteinizing hormone. Luteinizing hormone is the signal for progesterone. Progesterone makes your body act like it's pregnant. Ta-da! Thus, the endometrium grows. Is she saying that a postmenopausal woman is at a higher risk for cancer because she is not shedding the lining of her uterus? No one would say that. That's absurd. It sounded pretty absurd to me. <laughs> she's, not, she's not making that blood-rich nest for an egg because she's not producing estradiol, the dangerous cancer-causing hormone. So is that her, what doing? her idea seems to be that somehow the endometrium is bad, dirty, disgusting. I've heard people say, well, you know, women live longer than men because they get rid of their toxins every month by menstruating. <laughs> In fact, if we once again refer to science and we simply take some menstrual blood and analyze it, and also take some blood, circulating blood from the same woman and analyze that. Wow, we actually find that menstrual blood is richer in nutrients, especially iron and calcium. Other important nutrients are higher in menstrual blood than in the circulating blood of a woman. Wouldn't that make sense? Am I going to feed my potential baby on toxic waste or am I going to feed my potential baby on the best stuff my body can make? And it's not like it just keeps building up and building up and building up. That's what it was ma- she was making it seem like, for sure. That's not what happens. Um, There's an automatic shutoff in that system. If pregnancy does not occur after a certain number of hours of progesterone, then progesterone gets a bad attitude and sulks off. And menstruation occurs. And then when it the menstruation doesn't occur, what happens? When menstruation doesn't occur, it's because ovulation didn't occur. So there is no buildup of endometrium because ovulation is what causes the progesterone to be produced. Hmm. These things are cogged together. In other words, you can't ovulate until you produce a stradiol. 
And the so stradiol, and stradiol doesn't make you ovulate. It makes the pineal and the pituitary produce follicle stimulating hormone, which then stimulates the follicles to become eggs, and they then leave the ovary, leaving the yellow body behind. The yellow body produces luteinizing hormone, yellow hormone, which triggers the production of progesterone. So, hey, that makes sense. The egg is now out and available for fertilization. Let's start making progesterone. If it just doesn't, like, make progesterone on a whim, hormones are kind of expensive. It's like, you know, getting a new piece of furniture. Don't just go out and buy a couch on a whim. So this is why it's a pattern, why hormones can never be balanced, obviously. These hormones are not balanced. They're moving back and forth, right? And why we all suffer when we think we're supposed to be average. Mm-hmm. You already already put yourself through some pretty heavy-duty stuff trying to turn yourself into an image that you saw somewhere. Right. And (laughs) now you're doing it again in a more subtle way, trying to get your body to menstruate the way you think it's supposed to. And again, to circle back to what I'm hearing, is your actual complaint is you don't feel tip-top. You don't feel really well, even though you seem to be doing everything right. Correct. Feeling very good. Right. So the next question then is, to ask about exercise and stress. Mm. Because often when we're doing everything right and we're not feeling right, we're under some kind of stress that we feel stuck in. I would I've mentioned, mentioned <laughs> briefly that my daughter Justine and I are doing the Sarno pain cure course, and um, they actually ask you to, you know, do a rather what I thought rather was rather tedious list of all the things that stress you. And after I did this whole list, I looked at it and I said, you know, really, what stresses me are the people I live with and the way people relate to my autism. And everything else is just a sideline of that. But I have gotten, you know, I've lived for a long time, so my life's in a pretty good place. But I know lots of people who, like you're saying, are in situations where it's actually having an effect on their physical health. So is there anything you can do about it? Um, my situation or um, exercising more (laughs) 
exercise is often a solution to stress. Right. Right? I, I, go, I go hiking, you know, a few times a week. I, um, I, I used to, you know, during this time in my 20s and dream dieting, um, I was also extreme exercising. And um, I haven't had the best relationship to that kind of, I don't know, to exercise. And I mean, I used to be really involved in yoga, but, you know, ended up in kind of a yoga cult. <laughs> and I'm still repairing my relationship to yoga. Um, I, I don't exercise as much as I, as, as might be I find for my stress. I definitely find that walking helps me to deal with stress in my life. And, um, you know, one of those kind of funny health things that was made up, like your need to drink water was made up totally. And the idea you have to to walk 10,000 steps a day was made up. These were actually both made up by advertising executives. Good job they did. Very convincing. Um, in fact, a new study, very, very thorough meta-study, as many other studies, found that health benefits begin at a mile a day. That if you walk 2,500 steps every day, you will get major health benefits. Now, hey, the benefits increase if you're willing to do more. But that's a pretty reasonable goal for most people. And, and, really it only re- and it only requires you to, most people can walk a mile in 20 minutes. I remember my friend Candace, who um, had surgery on her lung and she was very short of breath. And she would get up every hour and walk. Her goal was at least 100 steps. And if she could do more, she did. And she managed to get her mile in a hundred steps at a time. So you don't have to say, oh, I'm going to go hiking or I'm going to go on a long walk. Find ways to work that in. I also find that being in the garden is a tremendous way to ground stressors. Do you have access to being able to do any gardening? I have a huge garden that I love so much. All right. Now, of course, with a huge garden, the garden itself can become a stress. It is. Also that, like, I have to find little tasks that give me joy. Mainly that involves harvesting to, you know, make things out of. Um, but yes, it, <laughs> you're you're completely correct that it is also a source of stress. Um, but being with the plants, you know, I mean, you all were talking about oxymels. I've had a great oxymel year as well, and uh, I've experimented with so many, and that gives me the most joy. But you know, I also have been doing a lot more barefoot um, work too thanks to you, and that I don't even feel comfortable in shoes anymore, really. (laughs) Uh, So 
let's hone in or focus in a little bit on the sensations that you have that are like PMS that you'd like to have less of. Right. Um, I'd say at the top of the list right now is I have I have gained a lot of weight in a short amount of time over the past few months, mm-hmm. and that is really hard for me. Yeah. And so um, the medical help that you sought out, um, I think you said that they drew blood for a thyroid test. Yes, among other things, uh, because that's that is one of them. Gaining weight really rapidly like that is often a sign of the thyroid having a hard time. And my mo- my mom has a struggle with that too. So um, it's just never something I thought about. Um, but so. Something if your, for if sure. your thyroid isn't making enough thyroid hormones and the metabolism slows down and it seems like everything you eat sticks to you. And one way to get the thyroid to be more responsive and to make more thyroid hormone is to incorporate more seaweed and a very specific seaweed, fucus. Some people say fucus. <laughs> F-U-C-U-S. That's one I've never tried. It's, you know, if you don't like Vitex, and believe me, you are not going to like fucus. <laughs> it's really, it's like eating the ocean. It's very... You know, sea water and sea creature and, again, you know, it's like one of those tastes that just cannot be hidden. People put it in applesauce. People put it in yogurt. Some people just wind up putting it in capsules mm-hmm. because they really just can't take the taste at all. But it is highly effective at okay. restoring good thyroid hormone levels when they are so low that you're starting to um, gain weight no matter what you do. That's a great recommendation. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was thinking of making like a syrup or something with the Vitex, but I just don't know. Um, I feel like I've taken up a lot of your time. I don't want to, um, you know, uh, well, let's go on to the next person. I'll wish you green blessings, and I okay. encourage you to call back. I really appreciate it, and, um, yeah, I'll uh, probably have to re-listen to our conversation a couple times, but, I, um, again, thank you so much. I've learned so much from you over the years, and I, I can't thank express my gratitude. Thank you for carrying it on. People's medicine. Yeehaw. Green blessings, Susan. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. All right, and I'll remind everyone, if you have a question for Susan this evening and would like to speak live with Susan, please press 1, and that will get your hand raised in the queue. Um, we Our caller um, from the 919, I don't see your number or your hand, so um, if you need to dial back in, um, of course, just do that and press 1. 
Um, I do see that we have an email question. Um, would you like to do that while we wait for more hands? Yes. Yes, let's do that. All right. Uh, here we go. Um, all right. Hi, Susan. Thank you. I want to ask you about something. Sorry, my cat is in my lap. I want me to read this. Um, thank you, Susan. I want to ask you about something. I heard you mention before, and I would like more clarity about thinking and feeling. How do I know when to employ which? And how do I know if I am feeling versus thinking? Sometimes it's obvious. Other times, not so much. Also, are there not so obvious times that feeling can be as important or more important than thinking and vice versa? Thank you very much. Collect information, think. Seek out wisdom. Feel. I think that what confuses us is that people use the word feel to refer to thinking. So if I were to say, Sarah Ellen, I feel like you are a wonderful angel. It's not actually feeling, it's a thought. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was really, like, fierce about telling us not to say, I feel like. That if the word like comes after feel, that it's not a feeling. Feelings to her were emotions. I think we have to broaden that because for most of us, feelings are emotions And feelings are also what we might call intuition. I had a feeling that was going to happen. I walked in the house the other day, and this little voice in my head said, call so-and-so. I picked up the phone and called so-and-so. And And it was only when so-and-so answered that I realized that so-and-so was out of town and couldn't be called. And yet there was so-and-so on the line saying, how did you know I was home? That's certainly could be said to be a thought because I actually really heard those words in my head, call, ba ba ba, And I did. But it was also a feeling. It was a hunch. It was an intuition. It was a, a sense. And feeling is also about senses. Yesterday when I was having a massage, it was dark and rainy, so we'd put the light on in the room. And after about 10 minutes, the weight of the light on me was too oppressive, and I asked for the light to be put off. I actually felt it. I could feel the light on my skin, and I didn't like the way it felt. Not that it felt bad, it just felt like there was the weight of it. So we have a lot of different ways of feeling. We can feel emotion. 
We can feel a hunch. We can feel our senses. And I'm not sure that we live in a culture that values thinking. So perhaps it's a little more difficult for most of us to own up to thinking. I was listening to Harper Lee's uh, audio version of Go, Go Set a Watchman, and Uncle Jake says, think, think, Scout, think. All right, if you can't think, I'll do the thinking for you. Wow. Now, that is actually something that someone could say, I'll do the thinking for you. But I can't do the feeling for you mm-hmm. on any le- on any aspect of it, right? I can't feel your emotions. You know, you know that my take on the empathy is m- that it's mostly projection of someone else's feeling onto another party. And not actually feeling what the other person is feeling at all, but you know, certainly not enough to get in an argument with anybody about it. Just my experience over looking at that. So I can't really feel your feelings. I might approximate them, but in the same way, I don't know what you see when you see red. I know what I see when I see red, and I can assume that what you see is the same as what I see. But even that... I know isn't actually true because I actually see red a little differently from my right eye to my left eye. And most people do. If you look at a really bright, vivid color and close one eye and then the other, you might notice that you two see them ever so slightly differently. So hmm. so sensations, feelings, hunches, they're our own individual thing. And thoughts are much more shareable. Thoughts also tend to be, um, because of that shareability, more flexible. Certainly people can have isms and ideologies. But as we learned at the Comfrey Conference and the Hypericum Conference, it was a lot easier to end an emotion fear than it was to end a belief, to end nonsense. Oh, wow, wow. So Which seemed to perpetuate itself. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, fairly interesting. Wow. Well, I, I think that these are fairly important questions for us to ask ourselves and to be aware of. As one of my teachers said, you do have to get up pretty early to get up before yourself, but it can be done. <laughs> yes, that was a juicy time. <laughs> Right. Yes, you can know yourself well enough to lay snares and baits for yourself to respond to. (laughs) (laughs) 
finished with that answer or um, I think so. We did. Okay. All right. Um, at this time, I do see two hands. Um, the callers have pressed one. If you've got a question, we've got more time for questions and answers. So press one, and I'll get you lined up in the queue. Uh, the first of our two callers has dialed in from, oh, three callers have dialed in from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is me. Hi. <laughs> I was hoping it would be you. Yes. Well, uh, my uh, heart doctor came up with an idea that uh, <laughs> displeased me to death, and that was to put a nitroglyn patch on myself because I am complaining that I'm dizzy and drowsy uh, as a lifestyle, and I am extremely upset, and nothing really helps. And uh, the the whatever uh, whatever thing I tried that was natural, I forgot about something kinesis, natto kin, natto kinesi, yeah. Uh, that, natto, that, yes. Natto, yeah, I that think. was not good for me. And uh, uh, I was told to put a patch, and I said, well, the patch will also have side effects, and I am already having side effects, and I don't want to take two medications. And, of course, I want your reflection on that. <laughs> For energy. So, so are they suggesting that you do this patch in addition to yeah. what yeah. you're so taking or instead of? The metoprolol. In addition. Yeah. I took a pay, half a pill of medication in the morning and half of at night. And, uh, uh, yeah. And, uh, yes, dizzy and drowsy. Damn it. You feel dizzy and drowsy yeah. when you take half a pill of your blood pressure medication in the yeah. morning and half at night and they are suggesting that if you use a nitroglycerin patch that you won't feel dizzy or drowsy no that's exactly what I asked I said that's what I'm taking it for she said well you know uh, for chest pain and this I said I don't have chest pain why should I take it if if it doesn't nitroglycerin is specifically for chest pain Chest yes, pain on exertion yes. or chest pain on emotion, um, you know, my consort has been taking a lot less nitroglycerin since he got the mitral valve of his heart replaced. It used to be that to go out and milk the goods, he would have to take a nitroglycerin tablet or two. And since his surgery, he doesn't have to take any to go out and do the goats. Now, he does take a slow-release nitroglycerin, which yeah, covers him to because he does, release, does experience chest pain. But you're not but, experiencing but, any chest pain. I don't have chest pain. You know, if I get very excited, even when I was healthy, I was feeling all kinds of pains. That's not my... Excited is not what I am all day long. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So what do you think? <laughs> so what is their reasoning for telling you to take this drug? Uh, the reasoning was a misinterpretation of the nurse who passed on the information to the doctor that I said, sometimes I do have pain, but I'm not sure if it's in my breast or in my chest. Uh, and I, I, meanwhile, I found out it is in my breast, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry to admit that I feel other people's pains, and I don't see them, and I don't think about them, and I don't imagine them. Uh, uh-huh. The pain is severe, and then it disappears, and I don't have a group anything there in in it's in my breast and i don't have mm-hmm. anything there as mm-hmm. yeah so i told her that and what she remembered is that i have pain in my chest and she told that to the doctor and the doctor said okay she can put a patch for 12 hours which is you know slow dose for the pain in chest that i i don't live with pain in chest no. So I don't think that this is an appropriate drug for you. Exactly. Yes. No, the problem is I'm still dizzy and drowsy. Uh, is there anything natural that I can do about it? Are you drinking any nourishing herbal infusions? Yes, I do, but not not as medication. Yes, I'm I'm drinking nettle, and I have huge amounts of red clover and uh, uh, that uh, that sour thing, hibiscus, and uh, yeah, I have the five of them. But uh, I really don't drink them every day. I don't. I am so unused to take vitamins and pills, I never took them in my life. I just took in good food, and I was okay. And now, if I take three times a a day Hawthorne, I feel like I'm medicating myself. But you told me it's good for my heart, and I'm taking it. Good for you. It's very good for your heart. Yeah. I take Hawthorne every day, too. Yeah. And there's nothing that I know of that's wrong with my heart, and I want to keep it that way. So that's yeah. why I'm enjoying Hawthorne. And uh, people all over the world enjoy Hawthorne to keep their heart healthy. Uh, Eagle Song was selling um, Chinese candy made of Hawthorne and sugar. Huh. And it was boiled, and of course the Hawthorne has so much pectin that it gelled up. Quite fun candy. Well, they say sugar. It's not exactly what we need, but whatever. Uh, I'm exactly. getting a called uh, the solution to to blood to high blood pressure is what the, they did in Finland. They discovered that if you combine salt with potassium, a certain salt and a certain potassium. The 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 blood pressure disappears, and 60% of the uh, death used to heart failure disappeared during the last four decades. That 
they don't have salt, you know, the sodium chloride. They sell salt mixed with potassium. And apparently no. there is a miracle to it. I'm going to read the book about it. It's written by a doctor, yeah. Yeah, and can you get that? Yes, I'm getting it. I, I ordered it at the library, and I'll get it, and I'll tell you what it says. It says that... <laughs> that no, no, not the book, the salt. Can you get the salt? Well, I, you know, I take very good salt. I take Himalayan or the sea salt from the oldest place in America. Sounds good to me. Yeah, and and, and, and I, I admit one that... Of the if we didn't behave, we would be sent to the salt mines. I love salt. I love salt. <laughs> <laughs> and there were really salt mines in Texas, and I, my class visits them. So there was a really good thread. It was like, oh, no, if I don't behave, they can make me live in a salt mine, you know. <laughs> and, and I bought that salt, and one of the reasons was is that I was putting the Himalayan salt and whatever I put in, and I have a sense that it has sand in it. And then I said, are you crazy? And that I put it in clear water and I let it dissolve. And at the bottom there was sand. Uh-huh. There you go. Yeah. I felt it. I felt Just it. as you thought. Yeah. So I'm not buying that anymore. And I buy the sea salt from the oldest place where... It was extracted millions of years ago when the ocean was not polluted like today. Ray. Yeah, it's very nice. It has a good taste. It's really tasty. Mm. So what shall I do for my dizziness? Do you have any idea? I have the passion flower. I have this. I have that. Nothing helps. Usually, dizziness has to do with your ears. Oh, my God. Well, my ears, you know, my problem with my ears is that I hear better than anybody else. I can't stand loud noise. Uh-huh. And I see without glasses also. That's my only two glasses. Because there's a, there's a delicate little machinery in the inner ear uh-huh. that tell us if we're stable or not. And the delicate machinery in my inner ear um, mm-hmm. just goes into an absolute frenzy when I'm on a boat. Oh, 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 yes, of course. Right, now, not, not a little boat, but like a big, you know, boat where it's like really being rocked by the waves. Yes. So what, what, what I've done in situations where I have to endure that Mm-hmm. is to get a scopolamine patch from the drugstore. Oh, scopolamine? Scopolamine from the drugstore, which you put behind your ear, and then you are no longer dizzy. Really? And and I, I can get that at the, without the prescription? I don't know. Or did you get it? My friends who owned the boat got it for me because I'm not the only one, and they don't like people barfing on their boat. Oh. <laughs> okay. So it's scopolamine. 
with a scopolamine, mm-hmm. right? It's an anti-nausea patch. Anti-nausea patch, okay. Right. Um, but it's not way. just for nausea. It's for, it's for dizziness. Uh, uh, yeah. Patch. For dizziness, well, on the boat, uh, when everybody was uh, really in bad shape because there was a storm, I wasn't dizzy. I wasn't. <laughs> but, yeah, that was many years ago. Uh, huh. The meditation, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The meditation screws up all my whatever, whatever is left of me. Whatever is left. Hmm. Yeah. So that's what I would think. The other thing that I've seen with animals that get dizzy is that there's an infection in the inner ear, a mild infection, and that the use of something like echinacea for a while, um, it doesn't have to be a really long while, um, restores balance, for lack of a better word, restores the sense of things not reeling around you. Yeah, but I, I don't have any inflammation in my ears. My understanding in the animals that I've seen this in was that it's an infection that you can't see. Nor feel. Right. So I can do it even if I don't have anything. It's not going to damage me in any way. If you take echinacea, it's not going to damage you in any way. So tell me how much, how many drops, and how many times. I'll try that. Okay. Um, I would say four dropperfuls, four times a day. Four dropperfuls? I'm going to be a cistern of water in my ear. I'm sorry. Four dropfuls. You're not going to put it. You're not going to put it in your ear. You're going to ingest it. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought I had to put it in for a drop full. If you were going to put it in your ear, you wouldn't need a dosage. Three times a day. You're going to actually take take four dropperfuls of echinacea, in, echinacea root tincture in some water four times a day. Okay, so I'll, I'll get that from the... Catskill Mountain, whatever, where I get my uh, hawthorn berries tincture. And you should see results within four days. And uh, and if you oh, don't, then you don't have to keep taking it. Oh, oh my God. In four days. So, and I'll drink it on an empty stomach with nothing else besides. It really doesn't matter at all whether this food or not. Really? Really. Oh, okay. It's written on the bottles, on my bottle. It's written, drink it before eating or something like that. 
on an in between meals, in between meals. Yeah, that's what's written on my uh, hawthorn tincture. I have heard things like this before, uh-huh. and there is definitely a half-life of substances in the body. But those half-lives vary a tremendous amount. And mostly when we're talking about half-lives, we're talking about drugs, about how long does it take for half of the drug to be used up. And sometimes we don't want people to take a particular drug um, with food because then there'll be more digestive enzymes at work and the drug might be impaired. But herbs are actually foods. Mm-hmm. Treating them like drugs, using the same kind of rules, mistakes the way that herbs are utilized by the body, which is they are utilized as food, not as drugs. Even if they have very active ingredients, even if they have drug-like active ingredients, because herbs have hundreds upon hundreds of constituents, they are used like food, not like drugs, which are individual molecules. So it doesn't matter if I eat uh, when I take it or if I don't eat? Does it matter in the least? Good. That helps. Because four dropfuls, you know, I, <laughs> that, that, that sounds a, sub, a substantial intake for my system. <laughs> but I'll, I'll do it for four days and see what happens. If it's not yes. going to damage me, but I'm telling you, even water can damage me the way I am. <laughs> well, I trust you to stop doing anything that you actually feel is damaging you. I certainly do not wish you damage. Okay. Okay? If I feel strange, <laughs> I'll stop. If you feel strange, then you must stop. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Love you lots. Love you too. Green blessings. Green blessings. Good night. All right, and at this time, I see we have one hand raised in the queue, and you have dialed in from the 907 area code. From the 907, you are live with Susan. Hey, Susan. Uh, <laughs> can you hear me? I can. What you got okay, to perfect. share tonight? <laughs> okay, I'm calling about comfrey root. Um when you make an oil, do you combine the comfrey leaves and the root, or do you do that separately? It's really going to depend a lot on you and what you want. But truth of the matter is that when I look upon my shelves, I see that the things that I use the least are my herbal oils. I haul them into the bathroom if I possibly can, because there at least they have some chance of being used. So I have really cut down on the amount of herbal oils that I make, because 
I tend to make a fair amount at a time. I make hypericum oil every year. Um, but I have always let other people make the oils and the ointments for me, especially my friend Gretchen, who does such a good job of it. So the answer to your question is yes. You can use just the root. You can use just the leaf. You can combine them. That all works. And the fun is to try it out. Do a little bit of just the root, a little bit of just the leaf, and some of them together and see what pleases you. Because it's, there's no wrong way to do it. Mm-hmm. It's I more so a matter of I let it take over. Yeah, what do you want and, and how are you going to use it and what's it for and those kinds of questions. Right. It would be, you know, pain. Right now what I'm using to relieve pain is hypericum oil. You know, I've, I have been using that myself, and it really does work very well. I mean, it really works very well. So I have, you know, I learned that from the Hypericum Conference. Thank you, thank you to everyone, because I had been uh, really underestimating Hypericum's value as a wound herb. I mean, after all, we have all these other great wound herbs. But, wow, it is really spectacular. It is. Remember uh, several years ago I was in a a rollover and my sternum was uh, badly injured. And I used the Hypericum and it really worked the best. And it wasn't like putting some type of uh, menthol-y type of thing on my chest that which, I don't know, I, I didn't like the way that felt. The hypericum, just just the oil, and then it did take the pain away. My problem, I wish it grew here. <laughs> oh, I surely hear that. Surely <laughs> hear that. So make some experiments with your comfrey. The problem that most people have with putting comfrey in oil is that it tends to uh, be a damp root, and so it kind of blurbles around in the oil and makes a stinky mess. And some people get around that by taking the leaves out after two or three weeks and putting fresh leaves in. Okay. Yeah, you know, they're so tempting. To, to <laughs> I have a whole, so much of it, and I just I go in the back, I look at it, and I'm like, oh, I want to make something with it. I, I love these leaves. Yeah, yeah, so do it. Yeah, do it, and do don't it. worry if it doesn't turn out the way you thought it would. Right, right. My chickens right. like it. I give the leaf, coffee have, leaves to chickens. Chickens have good taste. <laughs> they definitely have good taste. Okay, well, that was my question. Thank you, Susan. You are welcome. Thanks for asking. Green blessings. Good night. Green, green blessings. Bye. All right. Got it. Nine and a half minutes before we go to our guest, and we've got one caller that's got their hand up in the 201 area code. So in the 201, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. 
Hi. Hi. Um, so uh, when I stand up, I get very dizzy sometimes, and I've been told this is a blood circulation issue. Um, and part of what I've been told is the blood pools at my, the lower part of my body. So I put my feet up the wall. They've given me socks to help uh, make the space smaller so the blood wants to go up my body more. Um, but I still have these moments where I want to um, fall over from standing up. And so I started taking Hawthorne. I thought this might help with the, the circulatory issue, and I, I'm still having a problem. So I thought I'd come ask for more suggestions. When we stand up, the blood does suddenly have to move upward in the body, and especially to the mm -hmm. brain. And if it doesn't do that strongly, then the head says, we need blood. Put us down on the earth. Yes, yes. Um, and it'll, the, it'll, you'll stop thinking for a moment and you'll go down. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. It's literally the brain saying, I need more blood. You've got to get me as low as possible. It's, of course, obviously dangerous. Yeah, as you can I, fall I, I, and hit your head. Yes. When this happens. So, right now, are you sitting somewhere? No, I'm I'm standing, actually. Is it possible that you can sit on a chair? Yeah, um, I, I can. I normally sit on the floor. Mm -hmm. I'd like you to sit on a chair right now. Okay, I can do that. If you okay. can, okay. Yeah. All right. And what I want you to do is to get up in a way that will seem very peculiar. Okay. All right. I want you to get up by first bending at the waist so that you are looking down toward the floor. And and my, put what we might my call teacher, our rear. My teacher hand calls up. this nose to knees. Okay, yeah, I can do that. All okay. right, all right. So you're kind of bent over, and now you're going to push with your heels and pick your butt up off the chair. Yeah, okay. Okay? Now you are going to very slowly bring your head up. Okay. By standing... With your head down or level and then slowly bringing the head up, it gives your body a chance to get the blood to your brain. Okay. Most people, okay. when they get up, kind of do it head first, right? Yeah, they just, like a corn bean, stand straight up. Yeah, this is a, like you bend over first and then straighten yourself out. Right. Yes. You could even do that sitting on the floor, although it's harder sitting on the floor to get up that way. 
So there's maybe, maybe two that, steps here. One, elevating where I'm sitting. Keeping your head low. Yeah, keeping the head down. Yeah, okay. Keeping your head down as you get up. Maybe even just reminding yourself to look at the floor. So okay. what increases circulation faster and better than anything else is movement. Okay. Any way that you can move, whether it's vigorous movement or slow movement, whether it's walking or yoga or tai chi, any movement at all. Now, tai chi especially has a reputation for relieving postural hypotension. In other words, the lack of blood pressure to your brain when you stand up. Yeah, these are the fancy words the doctor used. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, postural hypotension. Okay, yes, yeah. The fancy words, yeah. <laughs> hypo. Hypo means above, right? So your, I'm sorry, means below. So your blood pressure is too low when you stand up. Postural yeah. hypotension. Your blood pressure is yeah. too low when you stand up. Okay. And so we certainly don't want to give you drugs to increase your blood pressure overall. We just want to get the mechanism that brings the blood to the brain to work better. Ginkgo, of course, is renowned for doing this, that it brings more blood to the brain. And an herb that is used quite a bit in other parts of the world, but not very much in America, which is go-to cola, is also renowned for helping to increase the amount of blood that gets to the brain. Okay. I know a woman who really liked this go-to cola. She talked to me about it many years ago. Yeah, okay. Okay. Um, he had wanted to give me something that would restrict my uh, circulatory system to make my blood pressure higher, and that seemed very wrong to me. So I I'll agree with you. Yeah. Um, one of the other concerns is um, I don't seem to uptake iron properly. And so I was wondering if maybe I didn't have enough blood, if that makes any sense. Well, one way to get more blood is to eat liver. Okay, so there's um, like chicken liver pate. I grew up vegetarian. How, how might I enjoy liver? Well, interestingly enough, organic liver is usually the least expensive of all as all of the organic meats. And one of the classic ways to eat liver is to saute onions. And then in the same pan with the sauteed onions to put your liver and to cook it pretty lightly. Liver is best if it's still at least rosy on the inside when it's eaten. And whether it's chicken liver or a calf liver, the idea is not necessarily to eat a huge amount at any one time. 
a little bit can do it. Yellow dock is renowned for its ability to help the body utilize iron. Yeah, yes, I, I take this, um, and it uh, it makes a major difference. I also boil uh, mm, and, and tell iron. Me, tell me about the the uh, how you take yellow dock. Is it in a tincture? Um, yes, it's in a tincture. I take uh, either a dropper full in the morning or dropper full in the evening or two dropper fulls in the morning, uh, depending on what I'm doing for the day. I find when I space it out a little bit, my mood is a bit more even, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also, in my tinctures, I boil uh, iron fish, so there's strong iron in the water because it's my understanding that the yellow dock doesn't have iron, but it helps the uptake of it. So I want the iron accessible for it to take up. That's certainly a trick that has been used among very poor people. Blackstrap mm-hmm. molasses is another good way to source iron. Uh, I'm not favorable to the taste, but when I can work it into my baking or my porridge, I do that. Some people take it straight. It's too too much like coffee for me. And you're right. It does very well in baking. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I'll look for more iron, and I'll look into... Movement patterns. You had talked about, um, I think her name is White Feather. She does these uh, Native American movements. Yes? Yes, the Seven Directions Movement Meditation. Do, do you think this might be similar in helping with the circulation like the Tai Chi? Okay, so I'll look perhaps into that. Um, her, her, I've heard you talk and I've heard her talk, and that sounds very interesting to me. So perhaps I'll go over that. It's a little closer to home for me. That's a wonderful idea. I'm so glad you thought of that. Thank you. Thank you for having this conversation with me. You're welcome. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Bye-bye. And welcome to Mary Hieronymus, dance artist, teacher, ceremonialist, writer, and mother. Mary lives in Asheville, North Carolina. Previously, she spent 17 years working as a dancer in New York City, touring and teaching, and eventually creating her work, The Sacred Body. The sacred body has three parts. The first is the sharing of practices of embodiment and the reclamation of the body as sacred in its many forms. The second is the support of the reemergence of the sacred feminine, the honoring of women's wisdom, and the healing of the matrilineal lines. The third is the remembrance of the power of ritual and ceremony to support these deeper experiences of embodiment and awakening. Mary's work 
through the sacred body has taken many forms, including dance, performance, teaching, private movement and healing sessions, the holding of sacred space, the writing of poetry and prose, the creation of home and hearth, and the path of motherhood as a sacred movement into women's wisdom. Ultimately, Mary's work is in service to creativity and healing, and the movement towards living an embodied life in harmony with the cycles of nature and imbued with the power of spirit. Welcome to the show, Mary. Oh, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to hear you say those words. It gave me a real thrill. I'm honored to be speaking with you tonight. Thank you. Welcome. Tell us about your journey in becoming a dance artist. Well, uh, it's interesting because I I started, I was dancing as a child, and, and then I sort of left that for a while and moved into um, visual arts, actually. I ended up going to art school. And then I just had that... Um, that deep passion for movement, which kept returning to me. And I was painting these larger and larger pictures, which um, ultimately were quite physical. And it was the physical aspect and the marking of movement and space that I realized became more and more a part of what I was doing. And so after I graduated from college, I returned to dance and and um and it was then that I started restudying and I eventually went to grad school uh and moved to New York and then and then worked into that field so it was it was sort of a circuitous route Well, someone once quipped the plans are what we make while we're waiting for life to happen. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as I look back, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that all of us can see in our own lives and journeys, as I look back, it's, there's there's so many threads that weave together that really don't make sense in the moment, but as we look back, they they make greater sense. And, for example, there was one of the threads that has reemerged when I, when I began dancing more fully again was a love of myth and ritual and ceremony. When I was, I think, maybe 16 or, or so years old, my mother gave me a cassette tape of Joseph Campbell, The Power of Myth. And this this incredible tape that I listened to from top to bottom just kind of transformed my my life in a way and I and stayed with me through through everything that I've done and it, it didn't really make sense to me how I was going to weave this love of ritual ceremony and what this really means to the human being but as I stand now Years later, I see the beautiful uh, weaving of all of these threads and and how each one kind of plays a part and the the sort of the 
the importance of allowing our uniqueness to really be what it is and not to judge, not to shut down, but really to continue to open to those very unique and authentic threads that each of us has. So. Mm. In a way, it almost seems a contradiction for a dancer to see the body as sacred. Because we're told that dancers see their bodies as machines to be whipped into mm-hmm. shape. Right. Now, maybe that's yeah. not true. Maybe, you know, we're being set a line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that, um, yes, exactly. And I think that this this uh, is a contradiction and in my feeling, really what what has happened with dance, and I can speak from my own experience when I was a young, you know, very young dancer, it, was, it is. It's a very competitive, it's very, you know, it's very focused on the outer appearance and exactly the body needs to be made into a machine. And really that was why I left the why I left it and moved to something that felt uh, easier for me as a person to digest. And when I came back to it, I realized it was really the love of, I wanted to be able to embrace and not as a machine, but rather as a, as a human being with all of my, you know, all of my um, uniqueness and (laughs) foibles and, and injuries and and beauty and and all of the the incredible um diversity of of who I am and how who who we all are ultimately so it it is i think it's a cultural problem actually for for those i see younger women men who move into the dance world and and it can it can really destroy people actually you know the the focus on the outer and the appearance and the need to be like a machine so that really um catapulted me into moving towards a more holistic approach to movement and what that means how it is that we can embody ourselves through movement how we can be compassionate to ourselves as we move as we live as we journey through life and it strikes me that this evening the callers have talked about postural hypotension and dizziness Mm. things that i think can be helped by the things that you teach people, somatic mm. awareness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So somatic awareness, somatic practices, such a beautiful field of work. For those who may not be familiar with it, it is the term somatics was coined by Thomas Hanna and in the past century. And this work, he he spoke about it as the somatic 
experience is the body experienced or felt from within. So really the ability to begin to tune in to our felt sense and the wisdom of the body that is innate within all of us and all of our systems, how they come together to create this incredible orchestra that is the human form, the human body. So this uh, somatic practice really exploded in the last century through such great teachers as um, Ida P. Rolfe, who was, you know, who many would understand as the, the great teacher of Rolfing, but also um, uh, Mabel Todd and Bonnie Bainbridge-Cohen, who uh, worked with body-mind centering. Of course, uh, Laban, Rudolph von Laban, who worked with movement analysis, and Alexander, and uh, who has the Alexander Technique and Feldenkrais Awareness Through Movement. So these incredible practices are kind of geared around our understanding the the felt experience of the body and really sinking into that beautiful wisdom that's there for us. And it's a wonderful tool in in all physical ailments. So yes. Yes, I'm sure you recognize that Alexander technique that I shared with yes. the woman about getting uh, getting up. I did. I absolutely did. And I, I can classic, classic Alexander work. Yes, yes. Bending from that deep hip socket and feeling yourself really rooted into the heels to push all the way up. It's these are beautiful bodies of work that are that unfortunately are very um, not not as well known. Although now as time moves, we are seeing more and more. of this information coming into uh, awareness of more people. So it's, um, but they are kind of, these practices are sort of tucked away, they're hidden away. And for myself, the reason why I came into these practices was because of my own injuries and the uh, pain that I experienced through through the spine and wanting to essentially integrate myself so that my hypermobility could come under, I could get it under control and uh, continue to dance. And these, so these, these techniques are really, um, they're harder to find in some ways because they're quieter techniques and our culture is, is quite loud you know, we go to the gym and we have a lot of, you know, pumping of iron and doing all kinds of things. And not to say that those aren't important, but it certainly is, and there is an imbalance for sure in the in the practices that are 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 available for people. And these practices are so healing, and this is really why I love them. Yes, in reading over um, your bio, I was struck by, um, of course, some parallels with uh, Judith uh, Blackstone, Mm. who was a dancer, 
who was in a mm-hmm. disabling accident and mm. laying on the floor unable to dance made up um, the um, real real the practice called the realization practice, which got her back on her feet and back dancing again. Wow, that is beautiful. Yeah, and that's beautiful. So it's, uh, I, I think, a, a kind of resilience that we have, that we can tap into, that rather than saying, ah, this is the end, we say, oh, how am I going to incorporate this new thing? Mm-hmm. Yes. I yeah. I have to change. Uh, my circumstances have changed. Now I have to change. Mm. And yes, and it is. And isn't that what ceremony does for us? Absolutely. Yeah. Is this this physical practice of marking these changes and wanting and helping us to direct the change into its highest potential because we come to these junctures of course and we can turn many directions <laughs> and we can spiral down we can spiral up we can move sideways you know but how is it that we harness that that moment to really move towards our highest good and potential this is a deeper function of, of ritual and ceremony. And when you are combining dance and ceremony, what does that look like? Hmm. Well, for many years, the, the work, the public work that I did <clears throat> was, I, w- I called it ritual dance art so really what I was doing was creating rituals personal in some sense and then making them more universal and these rituals also always included nature and bringing me closer towards the nature and the natural world oftentimes they incorporated uh, objects or totems, whether it was stones or antlers or sticks. So elements, I would weave together a kind of a ceremonial space where I would move through a different, I would call it a structure of of movement. And it wasn't necessarily obvious the structure the the purpose but really what my deeper intention was in these the creation of these works was to sort of raise the energy up so that the transformation that i was working with or through was used for its highest potential with the audience that i was sharing that with so so that was one way that I worked with that. And as I've shifted out of performing and moved towards mother into motherhood, 
I have been holding more sacred space for women, women's circles and ceremony. And that I do less movement, but this is more of a, a journey work experience where we move into somatic awareness and understanding we open the sacred directions and we and we move through different journeys that are of course meant to intended to be used as uh, as catalysts to again help move us towards our wholeness, our healing, and ultimately towards the our highest potential. And ceremony can be anything from a very simple ceremony of putting your nose to your knees as you get mm-hmm. up to um, an elaborate ceremony where we're costumed and bejeweled mm-hmm. and... Uh, um, yeah. Some of the most moving ceremonies that I've been in have been um, before we had the word somatic. Um, Mm. And in a way, I would say that they were stories. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, um, for instance, one of the stories that I told was um, that I took a lot of things that I had been told and I wrote them on pieces of sheet which were torn up and then I had a helper tie me up like a mummy with by winding these pieces of sheet mm. and I said I'm all wound up in my lies and I don't know how to get out of my lies I'm all mm-hmm. wound up in the things I've been told and I don't know how to get out of the things I've been told and of course mm-hmm. secreted a pair of scissors in there with me and so then after a while, I just started cutting, and I said, the only way out is to cut your way through. Mm. Yeah. Powerful. Because I know that when we inhabit our bodies, and people look at me like, well, of course I inhabit my body, but they don't, mm-hmm. uh, then really amazing things happen. I was mm. telling my friend today that you never quite know where something you say is going to be the important thing. I was talking about the um, things that happened to me post-operatively in May of 2020, and that one of the most difficult was when the ostomy care, I have a colostomy, when the ostomy care team came into my room, got me out of bed, and said, you are now going to look at your ostomy. And I said, no, I am not, absolutely not. I am not looking at that ensuing a big argument in which they said they were not leaving until I did. And so, of course, I had to give in and do it. And that was bad enough. Then they demanded that I name it. And I talked at some length about what went on with that. And afterwards, a woman came up to me and she said, oh, my gosh, she said, you know, I had a shoulder replacement years ago, and I've just never felt like myself since. And she says, I realized that I'm in pieces. I never really accepted that artificial shoulder as me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you finding yourself working with people who are getting new parts need to become them? Well, I think uh, it's knees, hips, shoulders, 
you know, lenses mm-hmm. in your eyes, valves in your heart. We're replacing people's parts at an incredible rate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, the, the, the wisdom of the body is so powerful. And I, I'm really, you know, I think part of what, what we're dealing with today is going back to what you said um, in the very beginning of, of, of what you were, of your time speaking was many people are not in their bodies. And many of many of us are splintered, and this is uh, this is a term called soul loss that other cultures speak of uh, with you know with great um, ease. But for for us here, we are not as familiar with these this understanding that that we are. There is a soul that is inhabiting this sacred body that is that is that is part of ourselves, and this separation of body and and mind and soul and heart is really, I think, in my feeling, detrimental to our health and well-being. And so m- many of us are really splintered and fractured. So many places through trauma and through the through the inevitable ups and downs of life, and of course we've all gone through, you know, the, our first entry into the world. It's a it's a it's a traumatic experience, you know. And La Boyer would say that does not have to be. But, <laughs> but the the transitioning from the other side into this side it's a it's a huge event and the you know who knows what the baby truly goes through you know it, it wasn't so long ago in the medical you know uh, community that they, that they were you know that, that we people seem to believe that the baby you know experienced nothing and is is as resilient as anything and we are resilient and there are things that mark us. And so how is it that we can integrate what is marking us, what has marked us, whatever it is, whatever our story is, and then be able to um, move that forward so that we can reclaim all aspects of our ourself. And what I getting back to the question that you that you posed do i see this in my work and yes i see i see many people in including myself in different ways shapes and forms and, the, and this this is why i've entered into such a deep healing journey that there's a fracturing and yes we need to reclaim how is it that we are reclaiming the energy of ourselves our soul force so that we can really be the powerful being that we are all meant to be, each of us, that each of us is in our rightful form, in our wholeness. So it's, it's, for me, it's really about finding the wholeness and the, the, the fullness 
all of the many aspects and healing those places that need tending to. Mm, I like hearing you talk about the wholeness and the fullness. I really resonate with Mm. those ideas. I was mm. once told by someone that they were very happy that I knew that that holistic health doesn't have a W because it comes mm. from hologram. And a hologram is a special kind of picture, which if you cut it in half, you don't get a top half and a bottom half or a right side and a left side. You get two whole pictures. Mm-hmm. And you can take those whole pictures smaller and fuzzier than the original and cut them and you will get whole pictures we cannot ever be less than whole there is no way to be greater than we already are we can't be higher because to be higher makes others lower but we can be fuller and we can bring back pieces of our wholeness because even though we're whole right now, just like a hologram is the whole thing, we might be pretty fuzzy. Mm-hmm. So we, yeah. can, we, we can collect more pieces, and the more pieces we collect, the more we have of ourselves to share. Mm. Beautiful, yeah. We literally don't want to get high. We literally want to go down in the dungeon and unlock all of the parts of ourselves that we've thrown in jail and bring them up to the mm-hmm. feast. Yeah, absolutely. This kind is of the opposite great. of being high. I want people to get low. I want them to go down. <laughs> I want them to get grounded. Because high mm-hmm. is like, you're spacing out and begin out of your body, and I totally agree with you. The biggest sickness on this planet is the belief that body and spirit are different. Mm-hmm. So we have to give up on getting high and just get full. Mm. And give up on thinking that evolution means better. It's not better. It's just adaptable. Mm. Mm-hmm. There isn't any better, and we're not here for any lessons. We're here to experience it. Mm-hmm. See, what, what can we make of this? It's kind of mm-hmm. like the chef contest where they get seven strange mm-hmm. ingredients. Right? <laughs> Here's your seven strange ingredients. Okay, make a life for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it is within the darkness that we begin to really feel the, the wholeness of who we are, of what we are made of and capable of. And that is, for all of us, that is, I love how you say, getting down into going into the dungeon to reclaim that which has been have been sort of untethered from from the body. I do believe that there are pieces of ourselves that kind of get locked and and tossed away. It's a psychological response almost to uh, difficult situations, a splitting and splintering, a fragmentation, and that that sort of reclaiming process is is one where 
where we, yeah, we have to get down into the muck and feel and be in our bodies and let it move through in all of its, whatever it is, and all of its feeling. And that is another aspect of of the sacred body and just in general the somatic model of work is that the the um, the movement into feeling to remember what feeling is and to move into the wisdom of sensation and to allow that to really begin to guide us as human beings rather than just the intellect because we see in our world today the intellect getting so much uh, um, attention as the as the greatness of what we are when in fact we're so much more than than the mind and the mind of course is useful and the intellect is useful but what about our intuition what about our felt wisdom what about that deep knowledge within our bodies that we can act through our feeling through our sensation and through that fearlessness of going deep down into the dungeon, wherever it is, wherever you are, and reclaiming that. Brilliant. I apologize for not having asked you sooner to let the listeners know how to get in touch with you. Oh, sure. Uh, you can find me uh, online at the sacredbody.earth. And that's my main website. And I list everything there. There's some online classes I offer. And I just came out with a um, a practice video called Movement Medicine, which is a synthesis of our, my uh, different practices that I've been teaching. So that's that's there on the website. You can find that. I could talk to you all night, but we're on a blog talk show, and they slam the door on us. So I'm going to ask you one last question, which is, what would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's been listening to you? I would like to say that for everyone, we all so much beauty to offer the world. And so much wisdom that perhaps has been buried or or lost to us consciously, but it's there for for each of us, and it's it's right in your beating heart. It's right in the pulse of your blood. It's right in the breath, in the prana, the air, the the spirit that moves through you, and. And that's what I would like to to leave with everyone is is just to to know even if you don't feel it now that you are brilliant you are beautiful you are full and you are made of the most mir- miraculous stuff yeehaw Absolutely. (laughs) I love the way Joanna Macy puts it. She says, every bit of you is made of the earth, and the earth is five billion years old. Act your age. Mm, That's it. That's it. I believe that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And I want to thank you. 
Mary Hieronymus, for the beautiful, beautiful patterns that you are bringing to this weaving, dancing the threads in and out for us. And thank you, Sarah Ellen, for helping me to do these fun online virtual conferences and to restore herbal medicine as people's medicine. And thank everyone who's listening tonight. Green blessings. Golden Thank dreams. You. Good night. Thank you. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.